Thanks, Greg. That was really great worship. <coughs> Love it. <coughs> so, um, in 1975, there was a gentleman from Amarillo, Texas. His name was W.W. W. Johnson, and it was his vacation. So, he took his family, and he started heading towards the southeast. And they're traveling along. They get to Arkansas, and they're traveling through Arkansas. And they see uh, this sign, Crater of Diamonds State Park. Dig for diamonds. Keep everything you find. And they say, hey, that, that'd be fun. So they, they stop, and they pull over and you know, pay their fee and go in, get their shovels and their pans and screens and whatever in there. Um, they're working around and just having a good time. I mean, who expect to really find much? But uh, lo and behold, after a little bit, Mr. Johnson sees something in the bottom of his screen, and it just looks a little different. And it's like about as big as his thumb or so. And, I mean, who knows a rough diamond? I don't know what a rough diamond looks like. He didn't either. He showed it to one of the attendants, and the attendants go, he had found something amazing. <clears throat> and it turned out that this was a diamond in the rough of like 16 and a third carats. Wow. One of the biggest ones that's ever found in this place. And so they uh, had it uh, cut and faceted and it, it turned into a marquise shape. Turned out to be uh, seven and a little over seven and a half carats when it was done, which is amazingly huge with a value of $150,000 to $175,000. Now, is that a, a, a family vacation that was worthwhile? Woo! <laughs> and it became known as the Amarillo Starlight Diamond. <clears throat> well, I tell that story because, well, I mean, who doesn't like a treasure story? Uh, especially if you're involved in it. But, um, and then our pastor, Doug, He's kind of a treasure seeker. Um, he likes to prospect, you know, pan for gold, get his metal detector out, and go looking for secret things that are uh, valuable. And in a spiritual sense, that's what he and the elders and the leaders in this church are doing. They're looking for things within people which have been hidden which need to be brought out. And they, other people may not even know about them. Uh, maybe they don't know the Lord, whatever. But uh, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, and this is, this is part of it, is unearthing these, these gifts that God has placed within us that could be of great value. Where is the next Amarillo Starlight Diamond going to be found? Maybe in this room right here. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes. So... Um, Doug has, has done a great job of uh, talking about the gifts over the last couple months. And so, I, I, you know, thinking and, and meditating on it, I, I've come up with a, a few things. Um, we talked about <clears throat> how spiritual gifts are really useless apart from the fruit of the Spirit. If, if we're not walking in love and peace and joy, even if we're doing amazing things and miracles... They kind of go shallow and flat and leave a sour taste in our mouth. Really important to have that fruit working in our life. And in, uh, in 1 Peter 4.10, 
I was reading through this, and this hits on the area that, that the gifts that are given to each one of us are not for our own use, they're for, to build up others. And here's what 1 Peter um, 4.10 says. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Minister it to one another. And I looked at that, that phrase, good stewards. And when we think of stewards, we usually think of money, um, you know, and, and finances and, and our time and our possessions. But here, uh, Peter's talking about the gifts that he's given to each one. And so how have we been stewarding what God has given to us? And when you get to my age, a little bit older, you can, you can look back and kind of evaluate and see, you know, how did I do? And um, if you've been walking with the Lord a while, you have a pretty good idea of, you know, what your gifts are, what, um, what your abilities are, and have I used those? And unfortunately, I look at my life and, you know, I haven't really been selfish with, with the gifts, but some of them I haven't really used that much. They're just kind of, you know how you get a gift sometimes and, it, and maybe just you kind of set it on a shelf and you, you know that the heart of the giver was good and you, you want to use it, but it just sits there for a while. So you need to think about good stewards. I mean, when you get a, a gift from a person, that's one thing, but God has given these gifts to us. So um, how are we stewarding that? And then the last phrase in this verse, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Grace. That's a word that we all have heard, and we've kind of got a default um, a definition that we go to. That's unmerited favor. Well, you know, it is that, but it's a lot more than that, too. And the, the phrase that has been presented to us from those that are teaching kingdom teaching is here. The grace, God's empowering presence, which enables us to be all that God wants us to be so that we can do all that God wants us to do. Now, isn't that amazing? It's not just the narrow unmerited favor. It's God's power flowing through us that enables us to be and to do. <clears throat> and then in, um, in, in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, verse five, 4 and 5, talking about using the gifts to benefit other people, it says, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. He's just finished talking about making the comparison between our physical bodies and how it, our bodies are, are made up of, of members and organs and systems, and, and they each have different functions. And if they work together, then your body can function properly. But, and then in the same way, he says, and this is, um, this is Paul, he's giving this analogy of um, uh, the church is like a body. So in the church, each person has different gifts and strengths. And as we work together, 
then the church can function properly. And that's why we, we could talk about the body of Christ. And Paul mentions it in Romans 12, and then he really develops it in, in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body, eye and ear, if I'm not this, you know, that um, there. But what hit me as I read this, even, um, in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's a strong word, belongs. All the translations didn't use it, but some did. And so think about it. We belong to each other. And, and we're just one body. I mean, I don't know everybody here. I don't, there's a lot of Christians in Grant's past. I don't know them. But somehow, and I can't figure out the logistics, we belong to each other. And if we can get that into our mind, it's going to change how we think. We talked about, in the area of spiritual gifts, how the Holy Spirit gives to each of us all the gifts. You know, we're not just um, a one-hit wonder. We're not, I'm this or I'm that. Yes, we may be stronger in one or two, but when the situation arises, we have access to all of them. And that's pretty cool. In 1 Corinthians 1.7, Paul was addressing the Corinthians and he says, you do not lack any spiritual gift. So don't limit yourself. I want to look in the Old Testament for an interesting example which, um, which came to me um, a, a little while ago. And this is in Exodus chapter 35 and 36. Um, and this is, this is about uh, when they were building the tabernacle. Moses had gone up on the mountain and God had given him all the specific directions for building the tabernacle. How the dimensions, exactly what it was supposed to be, the coverings for over the top, all the furnishings, the labor and the, the brazen altar and the Ark of the Covenant and the table of showbread, everything. He told him exactly how to do it. So Moses came down from the mountain with all it. He had the blueprints. But Moses wasn't a craftsman, at least we're not shown so, told so. He's not going to do it, and there's much too much for him to do. So God provided somebody else. And I relate this to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, where we've got the fivefold ministry. God has given uh, in the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And here's Moses. He's probably the apostle. He comes down with the blueprints. And I want to read here. Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. This guy was really gifted. And, he has, and here's a really interesting point. He has put in his heart the ability to teach. Important in him and his, his main helper, Aholiab, the son of Ahismach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of engraving, designing, tapestry making, weaving. And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding shall do all that the Lord has commanded. 
So Moses called those two, Bezalel and Oholiab, and all the other gifted craftsmen together, and they received from Moses all the offering which the, the children of Israel had brought for the work. And just before here, it tells about the offering. They needed bronze. They needed gold, silver. They needed acacia wood. They needed all kinds of uh, threads and uh, weaving things, yarn, goat skins, uh, all this stuff. It was a tremendous amount of stuff to build this tabernacle. One person couldn't do it. They had to work together. And so the people gave. They, uh, they looked around and says, well, you know, I, I don't have any gold, but I, I got some ram skins. Uh, and another said, well, I got uh, the spices for the anointing oil, etc. So they started giving. And it, it says, uh, Moses, uh, or the craftsmen received from Moses the offering which the children of Israel had brought. And they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. And all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came to Moses and they said, we got too much. We got plenty. Tell the people to stop. So Moses gave the command and they issued the proclamation. Don't bring any more. We got plenty. For what had been brought was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. So what I'm getting here is you got Moses the apostle. You got Bezalel and Aholiab. And they're gifted to teach. What, were the, the, what are the fivefold ministry? What is their purpose? They are, in Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So these gifted artisans, all the other ones that came around to actually do the work, they were already gifted, but maybe they needed some extra help. Bezalel and Aholiab taught them. They were able to teach, just like our fivefold ministry is today for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So you got Moses, Bezalel, and Aholiab, all the gifted artisans that are doing the work, and then there's one more group, and that was the givers. So, I mean, you got the craftsmen, they're skilled, and they're going to do the work, but not everybody's skilled. You got farmers and shepherds. You got storekeepers and businessmen among the, the Israelites. You got young people. You got... Uh, housewives, they may not be skilled, but they might have stuff that they can give. And so that's what they did. They brought the gift. And it was an amazing gift. They were very generous, and the Lord blessed it, and they were able to build the tabernacle. So that's an Old Testament example, which we don't usually um, think of it because the Holy Spirit was working differently in the Old Testament. Uh, is the Holy Spirit would just come on people uh, for a time for a job. And that's what, what happened here. Whereas now, after Pentecost, we all have the Holy Spirit within us. But it was interesting that it was kind of a foreshadowing in the Old Testament of, of what uh, happens in the New Testament. And then I want to bring up a person in the New Testament which is a hero to me, and that's Barnabas. Barnabas, we first see him in, in Acts chapter 4, where people were selling things and bringing the money to the, to the apostles. And it says that Barnabas brought, he sold a field, and he sold it and brought it to the apostles. And of course, next is Ananias and Sapphira, who did it the wrong way. But um, um, his name was really Josie's. 
But he was nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So that gives us a clue. Barnabas is an encourager. And encouragement, exhortation, is an important gift in, in the body. Um, we next see him, and this is important, Saul had been converted on the way to Damascus. He preached like everything in Damascus. People were coming to the Lord. Then they got mad at him, and they chased him out of Damascus. Now he comes down to Jerusalem, and he tries to come in to the elders. Guess what? They're all afraid of him. Why? I mean, he's been persecuting the Christians for a long time. Of course they're afraid of him. They don't believe that his conversion is real. Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the elders and said, this guy's conversion is real. He's true. He's been doing it up in, in Damascus. Now he wants to come here. Accept him. And they did. They took Barnabas' word. Barnabas saw what was within of Saul, and he brought it out. He helped he got him started in his ministry. Then um, Barnabas, he went to Antioch and he was sent by the elders to see how the church, because it was thriving there, and they said, go see what, what they need. He got there. It's, it's on fire. There, people are being converted all over, but they need help. So what does he do? He goes to Tarsus, where Saul is now, and he, he twists his arms. says, Saul, we need help. Come, to, come back to Antioch with me. And, so he did. He brought Saul back, and they worked together in Antioch for a while. They became elders. There was uh, five of them. And a little bit later, in thir chapter 13 of Acts, um, the Holy Spirit said, Send Paul and Barnabas out on the work that, to which I have called them. And so they prayed and sent them off. And they went around on their first journey, <clears throat> established a lot of churches, and did great. They, and they took John Mark with them, except about halfway through, Something happened. John Mark turned around. He didn't finish. Well, they got back from the first journey, and after a little while, they decided to go again. Let's go back and see how everybody's doing. Barnabas says, great, let's do it. Here, let's take John Mark again. Paul said, hold on a second. He left us the first time. I don't think we should take him. Yes, we should. There's a lot of good in John Mark. Uh, no, we can't take the chance. And there was a bitter dispute between them, so much so that, as you know, they split, and Saul took Silas, and, and they went on, on their way. Barnabas took John Mark, and he took him on another. Into, they went to Cyprus. So again, we see Barnabas looking into this young man, John Mark. Yes, he probably made mistakes. He was young, maybe made decisions. But Barnabas saw that there was good in there, and he, he was a discipler. So he, he brought that out. And we know that he brought it out because here's, here's the book of Mark. He wrote the gospel of Mark. Oh, so Barnabas was, he was able to disciple him into, to, you know, his walk with the Lord is really good. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4.11, Paul writes towards the end of his life, get John Mark and bring him to me for he is useful to me. So Paul realized it, too, at the end, that, um, that the, the value that was there in Mark. So he was an encourager, a discipler, and also, even as, in, in a way, Paul's star was rising, and Barnabas got him started, but he, he surpassed him. There's no indication that Barnabas was jealous of Saul. He rejoiced in 
in Saul's, he was a great speaker and orator. Um, he encouraged that. So he didn't allow jealousy to come in. Now, um, when we've looked at the different lists, lists in, in the New Testament of the gifts. Romans has a list, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and a lot of different uh, gifts are, are listed. And I, I don't think that Paul says, okay, what are the gifts? And he started writing them down. Uh, I think he was looking around at the congregation and he was seeing the gifts that were being manifested in the people around him. And he says, yeah, that's a gift right there. And some were obvious, some were kind of hidden a little bit. And as I look around at our, our fellowship here, I see some pretty amazing gifts too. And I want to mention some of those. Uh, we had something happen at a home group a couple months ago out at Newton, Indiana. And one brother was struggling. He'd, the life seemed to be caving in. And oh, man, was just asking for prayer. So we prayed for him. And then another brother, the Holy Spirit came on him. And he just rose up. And I'm just watching this happen. And he's sharing his testimony of how God helped me in the past through similar situations. And he's quoting scripture and saying, God is going to bring you through this. And this person is not particularly a leader in, in the church. But, and, and he's been through some deep water himself in the last year or two. And I'm talking about Steve Ackerman. Steve Ackerman rose to the challenge and he encouraged that brother in an amazing way. I'm just watching saying, wow, cool. And I don't think Steve's here today, but bless him. Yeah. Um, then I, I think about the gift of hospitality. And first one that comes to my mind is my mom. Uh, she's been gone a while, but uh, when we were growing up, I don't know how many missionaries and um, pastors, um, people from different missionary organizations, uh, Christian organizations, would spend the night in our home, one night, two night, maybe a week, you know, put them up, feed them. Uh, how many people came over f for meals, cranking ice cream and doing, and, and there's a lot involved in hospitality, you know. My wife, Danita, is really good at this. She, she loves to do that. That's a gift that God has given her. And there's a lot of logistics to it that I don't think about. Oh, come on over. Yeah, come on over. I'm not thinking about all the stuff that has to go on. She's thinking about it, and she's doing it. Um, we have a lady in our congregation who's amazing. If somebody is having a hard time, they've been sick, here comes a card from Victoria. Blessings upon her. Many people have been blessed by the cards that Victoria has sent to people. Thank you. I've received them. We have. It's another lady who, a young lady, who um, knows how to crochet. And over the years, Shirley Story has crocheted hats for babies, preemies, newborns, cancer victims. And I'm talking about hundreds, really thousands of hats that she's donated to hospitals and organizations that help these people. 
And, uh, <laughs> and they're pretty. Each one is different. She's using her creative outlets. It's really cool. Um, my niece, Kaylee, bless her. Um, ever since she was young, some of you may not know this, Kaylee has an artistic bent. And she draws these, what we call Kaylee's Critters. And, and if you're in Sunday school, you've probably seen Kaylee's Critters. Um, but every, every birthday, we'd wonder, what's Kaylee going to come up with? She'd make these cards and all these cute little, little guys on there, and they're talking. And she just had this gift, and she used it to, to bless people. My brother David on the cello. Um, if you haven't, he's, he's up here quite a bit. Um, if, if you haven't been around here, you, you might think that he's been playing all his life. He hasn't. The, he, our grandfather was quite a cello player. He, he played in churches, in community bands or orchestras, all th- up into his 80s. And our dad played the cello, but David didn't play until five, six, seven years ago. And he took it up, took the baton, taught himself to play. And look at him, how blessed are we to hear that cello music going on. I'm blessed. And then sometimes he's singing too. Um, and then here's um, another, um, another ministry that's really important. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Paul um, talks about a man named Epaphras. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, is, has, is always laboring fervently in prayer for you. How important is that? And I know that in this body, there are many people who labor fervently in prayer for us. And so great. Now, here's one that is not in any of the lists, but I believe it's true. And that's listening. I think it's an art, and I think it is developed, it's learned, but I think it's also a gift. When a person's having a hard time and they just need to share, just need to unload, can we sit there, stop our schedule, pay attention, listen? We may not even have to say anything, but that's important to people, to be a good listener. And that's a, that's a gift that we can develop. Now, um, as, as I bring this to a close, I want to um, relate a parable, kind of an illustration, which... God showed me uh, over the last couple months. And this is gardening season, and probably everybody here has been involved with uh, planning a garden, preparing uh, at some point or another. And as you know, one of the first things that you got to do, one of the important things, is you got to prepare the soil. And when you're rototilling or whatever, what comes up out of the ground? Rocks. And you got all these rocks, and they're just getting in the way. They're, they're gumming up the whole process. You're just tossing rocks into the rock pile and filling five-gallon buckets, and you're just getting them out of there. You don't want them. And, and when you're ready to plant, you're, you're still picking rocks because you want that seed bed to be nice and fine so that they'll, the plants don't have to fight with them. And Jesus mentioned that in the parable of the soils. What happened when this, the seed fell on the stony ground? Didn't come out too good. So, these rocks in the field, they're, they're useless. They're, they're, they're not good. for All we want to do is get rid of them. They get them out of our way. But our God is in the... His, he is a redeemer. 
He is a person who sees as he sees goodness where all we might just see an old rock. We might just see an old rock. Jesus looks in there and he sees all that potential. He sees the gifts that he put in there. And here in, in Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So God is taking these old rocks and he wants to take them out of that field and put them into the house, the house of God, the spiritual house. Paul calls it a, a body. He makes that analogy. Peter makes the analogy of the house. And in this house, you've got big solid rocks down in the foundation. They're not all the same. They've got different stuff going on. You've got rocks that are maybe used in the corners for different things. You've got certain stones that are used under the windows for the, the sills and across the top to bear the loads over the windows and the doors. You've got little rocks to fill in the cracks. Um, and then you've got rocks that are hidden inside the wall and never seen. But each of those rocks... You know, stones in the wall of the building, God's building. They're holding up each other, aren't they? They're up against others. What happens if you pull one out or one's missing? They're going to start to fall in. And if, you, if we got holes in the wall, we got wind whipping through here. It's getting drafty inside the building. This is not good. We need everybody in the wall, in the spiritual house. You got snakes coming in. Your critters coming into the house. We can't have that. So, um, God is in the process of taking those stones. Jason, are we ready there? Take those useless rocks from the field and make them into something useful in God's house. This living, spiritual house. So, today, think about your life. Where, where are we at? Where are we at? Do we know Jesus? If we don't know Jesus, never made a commitment to him, maybe we're like one of these rocks. Maybe we're just in the way, gumming up the process. We've been tossed aside into a, a rock pile and we're um, considered to be worthless. Or maybe, maybe we're, um, we, we know Jesus, maybe we're just starting out. We, we're talking about spiritual gifts. Maybe we don't know what our giftings are. Come and get into the wall. Um, learn what your gifts are. How you can be ser serving the Lord. Serving the body through, um, through these gifts that He has put in our lives. God wants every person involved he wants us all in this building, this spiritual house. So, if you would like to, come forward, receive prayer. Um, receive Christ. Repent. Uh, you can become a living stone. You don't have to be one that's tossed aside. Or, come forward if you want. Pray. Others will 
pray for you, to get a, a clearer idea of what it is. What is your, your, the giftings that God has placed in you? How can I better use those? Be used to serve God and my fellow men. So let's go ahead and stand. Just pray. If you feel like it, come forward. That's a powerful word. There are some in this room you feel as if you've just been thrown aside. And maybe it wasn't even by your choice. Someone made that choice for you. And they threw you aside. It's a great time for you to make that right. A lot of symbolism in stepping forward and coming forward, but it's just simply stepping into your place in the body of Christ. Every one of you is called to serve in some way, shape, or form. Every one of you has a place in the body of Christ. Everyone. Everyone gets to play. That's the point. God wants to use all of us. And think about this. You may carry a part of the wall, and you're holding back, and that wall needs to be strengthened. And God has placed in you the gift that's needed, that particular spot in the wall. Amen. So Jason, let's just do this. Turn that up a little bit if that's you. If you don't know Jesus, if you've been away from Jesus, you want more of Jesus, come forward. We just want to see you set free, and we want to see you walking where God's calling you to walk. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you need a healing in your body today. We'd love to just pray for you that God would touch you and God would heal you.